listeners, welcome to another show on Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, Rasa, where we talk about everything and anything pertaining to all forms of abuse and mental health issues. I'm your host, Grace Opa. Today, I have a delight to introduce to you one of the pillars of Afruka, who ensures the smooth running of the organization is no other person than the effervescent Mr. Ibrahim Munu, who runs the psychotherapeutic arm of the organization. Welcome, Ibrahim. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. I'm happy to be here. That's great. And it's good to have you here as well. So could you kindly introduce yourself and what you do in the organization? Okay. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Ibrahim, and I'm the service administrator at Afrika State Guardian Children Charity. I oversee administrative function and support the organization initiative in protecting and advocating for children's welfare. So I run the Afrika Psychotherapy Service. Thank you. So I'll just go straight to the questions. It's great. Work done by Afruka is mainly in the UK and ethnic and ethnic communities to protect and safeguard children from abuse and exploitation. Kindly cite examples of how this organization has done this. Afruka has significantly impacted the UK's ethnic community through our different initiatives like community workshops, training programs, advocacy campaigns. For instance, we conduct workshops educating parents on spotting signs of abuse and exploitations and offered a training session for professionals working with vulnerable children, one of which is the Africa Champions, which we do sessions every weekend for families and parents to get involved and get the community involved about uh, child abuse and parenting techniques. In the UK, when we move to the UK, we tend not to understand the laws behind parenting. That's why recently ethnic families, they're getting involved into foster care a lot more. So our charity, we are devoted to commit to parents from ethnic background to teach them about the laws in the UK regarding parenting and childcare. So that's one of the things we do. And we do have loads of other projects going on at the moment in Manchester and in London. Okay. So what are the, some of the signs that people can spot in um, relation to abuse of children? It, it just depends on, because every case is different. So one of the most, what well, I say, the most common signs will be it's missing schools. That's one of the most signs. It could be something happening at home or something happened to the children in school. So that's one of the most important uh, common signs we get every now and then in our cases. So, so what are some of these signs? You talked about children skipping schools. What else? And also... Another common one could be from different cultures, which can be um, female genital mutilation, for example, as in parents normally take their girl or child from the UK and then take them back home for FGM. 
So we do have cases like that that comes up. And also it could be forced marriage for young kids. So that's one of the other common issues we get as well from our different cases. Okay, thank you. So what are the cultural and religious practices that harm children? Cultural and religious practices that harm children can include forced marriages, female genital mutilation, witchcraft accusation, and corporal punishment justified by cultural beliefs. By this, I mean, it could be children from um, cultural backgrounds, such as uh, Muslim families who believe a certain belief. And based on where they're from, the regions, and they tend to enforce these beliefs on their, on their children in these part of the Western world, which doesn't align with the laws of the UK. It could be, for example, kids are not allowed to say certain things to their parents or talk back to their parents, be it respectfully, some parents don't allow that and it can turn into violence in some homes. And these are some of the things we face in some of our cases. When you talked about the cultural and religious practices, take for example, you just cited a good one. If their parents are Muslims and they're meant to wear the hijab, and the child says, I don't want to wear the hijab because I really don't believe in it. I'm not back home. I'm in the UK. And it's not mandatory for me to wear the hijab. What then happens? So in these cases, it depends on the age of the, the children. So we work with the social service, the social work team, and from the local authority, the, the family. And then we have to go abide by the laws of the UK to support the parents and the children or the child. So in this case, the child could say, I don't want to wear the hijab. And so that would be the case. Yes. And if domestic abuse continues in the home, we will have to advocate for the family, the child to be moved out of the home and then relocated into a safer environment. But will they be reintegrated back into the family when that happens? Yes, after everything has been settled, all the abuse has been confirmed not to be going on anymore. So the child can then come back to the family, reintegrated into the family. Hence why we started the new psychotherapy service, which is the end bit of our work after the social work team has carried on the work of the family. So the psychotherapist team comes in and we do sessions, one-to-one -one sessions with the child, the, the parents, be it a single parent or, or the mom and the dad. So we work with them and then try to reintegrate the, the child with the parent again in order to stop them get, going into foster care. Thank you. You actually raised one um, issue. That was the case of witchcraft. Yeah. Have you handled a couple or have you experienced that with a family saying that they are accusing their child of witchcraft? I have not dealt with that, but a member of my team would have handled that. So the social work team, for example, they would provide more cases in that. I wish I could have got one of my colleagues in the social work team to talk more about this, but we do have issues 
about that because I remember in our last Africa Champions um, weekly sessions, there was a topic on that. But I'm not able to give you further insight on it as I wasn't the one running the, the project at the time. We faced issues with witchcraft accusations. Thank you so much. Thank you. That leads me to my next question. How has the organization been able to crack down on the modern slavery network as relates to children, especially in relations to underage domestic servitude and child labor? You can cite examples as well. Yes, so in our service, we do have the UK BME Anti-Slavery Network. It's a project of Afruka Safeguarding Children. Our network aims to strengthen the voices of marginalized communities in anti-slavery and provide opportunities for grassroots collaboration and partnership approaches to tackle modern slavery in affected communities. So from these services, Africa has tackled modern slavery by raising awareness, providing training to frontline workers, for example, social workers and advocating for policy changes. For example, we've supported victims of underage domestic servitude. We've collaborated with authorities to prosecute perpetrators. We campaigned for stricter regulation to prevent child labor exploitation. And I think last weekend we had sessions for young people in London to divert away from crimes and focus on community football. So we had a football tournament for young people to encourage them to stay away from violence. Oh, that's great. So in a way, it's a form of creativity, playing football, and from there, people can actually scout talents. Yes. Also, we try to promote uh, the feeling of community which was one of the reasons why we set up the football tournament, because most of the young people were from all across London, north, south, east and west, and they all came together amicably. The, the tournament was, was brilliant. It went well. That's great. They must have had fun. Yeah. We do have recent pictures on our LinkedIn uh, profile. Check that out later. Thank you. Well, how can county lines youth violence be tackled in inner London and Manchester? So addressing counting lines and youth violence in inner London and Manchester requires um, a multifaceted approach involving community engagement, youth empowerment program, education on the, on the risk and collaboration between law enforcement and social services. So by this, we work with different external charities to collaborate together to enlighten communities and the young people about youth violence in in London and Manchester, because we do have an office in Manchester as well, which we run run county line programs and different projects around county lines. So have there been numerous cases of county lines you've handled Manchester? Yes, we do. We face um, issues with that. I'm the service administrator for the psychotherapy service, but I cannot go in-depth in terms of the county lines project. I know about it, but I don't know the full extent of some of the, the success stories. But we do have different projects running through, and they're all been successful. Do they refer them to you for therapy then? If, for example, someone 
needed therapy. Yes. So that's the end goal for all of our services after working with families and young people. They do refer for the psychotherapy. It just depends on the cases of the parent and the family we're supporting. Thank you. So how has this disproportionately affected Black and ethnic minority? Is that there are more of Black people or ethnic minority doing this, or is that a mixture? How has that affected them, their psyche, the, their outlook to life and how people look at these yes, things? Um, from my experience working with colleagues in these different projects, Black and ethnic minorities are disproportionately affected by these issues due to socioeconomic factors, systemic inequalities and lack of support structures. So by this, we mean the systemic inequalities can be from the police system and by labeling young black people as in that they are involved in county lines. And then by this labels, these young people automatically start believing they're part of these groups. They're more likely to be involved in these groups because already labeled by the police which you're meant to be protecting them so we do have issues with this and also it's the structure of the homes in black families as well most times they're single parent to work in so the kids don't spend enough time with their parent at home after school so they're most likely to be out in the street or spending time with their friends and there is also a term called the chicken shop yeah. So this is where in, um, adults involved in, in, dr- in the drug scenes go to these places to scout young people that they can get involved in the unhealthy lines and drug, drug trafficking, which is really sad because these kids sometimes they, they're doing well in their schools and they get to meet these adults and then they start drifting. So most of our projects we're running is to stop these from early on before it gets worse. Okay, so you do preventative, maybe workshops or just like the football tournament you had recently. So what other things do you do to reduce or prevent this occurring? So in, in the summertime, we do promote like different projects where we can get young people to engage in outdoor activities it could be fundraising, it could be doing um, trips to different museums and other places around in Manchester and London, just to get them involved and give them a sense of empowerment. All right, that sounds interesting. I was wondering if they could conduct like after school clubs in local communities whereby children, maybe if their parents have gone to work, they can meet up and have taekwondo or homework sessions and things like that. Is that something you also do? Yes, we do community education programs for different communities. In terms of sensitizing our communities, we do programs where we work with religious bodies like churches, mosques, and so we do engage with these communities to get kids involved and then try and tell them about county lines and other different issues facing young people. Okay. I was also wondering, is this something that is long-term that Africa is doing or is just for a period of time? 
the aim is for long term. Okay. Yeah, hopefully we get more funding for these projects and then we can continue to do our work and impact our communities successfully. Thank you. What psychotherapeutic interventions do you provide for the children returning home from foster care then? So the psychotherapeutic intervention for children returning home from foster care may include counselling, trauma-informed therapy, support groups tailored to the cultural background and experiences of the families we're dealing with because every case is different. So we do work with psychotherapists, qualified psychotherapists from ethnic backgrounds. We work with and they have experience dealing with some of these traumas faced by these families. Okay. Do a bit of art therapy as well for children who are non-verbal, for example. Yes, we do art therapy and we do different therapeutic cards where children can express their feelings. It's because sometimes based on the trauma that they've been through, it's difficult for them to open up in therapeutic sessions from the first two sessions. So based on our therapeutic cards and artwork, so they get to express themselves without verbally saying these things. So that leads me to my next question. What is meant by culturally appropriate therapy service for children? By culturally appropriate therapy service for children, we mean we provide therapy that respects and integrates their cultural values, beliefs, and practices to ensure relevance and effectiveness in us delivering our service to the children and the families. Are the families mostly involved as well? Yes, because as most of the kids are under 18, we do have permission from the parents to work with the families and from the social services that work with and the local authorities that work with the parents. So in summary, kindly highlight how parents in black and ethnic communities can understand child protection procedures in the UK. That is summarize how parents in black and ethnic communities can understand child protection procedures in the UK. Parents in Black and ethnic community can understand child protection procedures in the UK through culturally sensitive educational programs we, we run, translated materials, which we do like workbooks and we do different external copies of materials for desensitized families about the laws in the UK, about domestic abuse, about FGM and other issues faced by ethnic communities. And also we do community workshops and accessible information sessions online. And we do have some more information on our websites as well in, in regards to process of referrals and just getting in, in touch with us for more information because sometimes families can be lost in terms of 
once their child get into foster care, they don't know what to do. Parents, especially from ethnic backgrounds, so they don't even know the laws behind care. So we do sensitize families and parents about these different laws and how to go about the foster care system to get their children back in their homes again. So in, in a nutshell, you educate them. But do you get translators? Take, for example, someone who can't speak English. Do you get translators to translate all these procedures? For them to yes, understand yes. it. We do work with local authorities that provide translators for families when we do sessions with them. Okay, thank you. So, is that equality, diversity, inclusion in child protection cases in the UK and Europe as relates to trafficking and modern day slavery? So in terms of this question, while progress has been made, there's still disparities in, in equality, diversity and inclusion in child protection cases, particularly in addressing trafficking and modern day slavery across different ethnicities and regions in the UK and Europe in general. So based on this, children from ethnic background, as I said earlier, with the county lines, they get labelled by the system that should be protecting them. And this kind of breaks the trust within ethnic communities um, regarding these public services to children. So we do have disparities. So we're working hard with external charities and agencies to bridge the gap with ethnic family face in terms of disparities. So would you say that because they are being labelled, the children don't open up to, for example, social yes. services or the police? Yes. Because they feel that they wouldn't believe them. They feel they are being put in a box. Yes, because as much as we would like to say the police system is non-biased, but the people working within the police system can be biased sometimes. So it's good to have diversity in the police itself. So that's why the new Met Police now are pushing for people from diverse backgrounds to get involved, because the more we see ourselves in these organisations, the more we can trust them more, especially for the young people growing up, because they've seen a lot with social media and all the things happening across the world. In America, for example, with the police system, they're being racist and biased. So... It's good for us to have diversity across all aspects of social service in the UK, which create trust among parents and families and ethnic communities to start trusting the service. So that's why Afroka is here. We offer these services for people from ethnic backgrounds in terms of sensitizing them about the issues we face in our communities. I do understand and I do agree with what you've just said now because a black child will easily open up to maybe a female police officer who is black as well, who can understand yes. where she's coming from culturally, yeah. in terms of the religion, in terms of the social buildup of the black community. Yeah. yeah. So what is the Phoenix project in a nutshell? So the Phoenix Project is our project run in Manchester. It aims to support and rehabilitate victims of human trafficking 
provide them with specialized services, advocacy and empowerment programs to help rebuild their life. So the Phoenix Project is aimed to support, especially girl child, for girls going through these different traumas of human trafficking and domestic abuse facing their homes. So we do run Phoenix Project. We work with external agencies like schools and other charities to run different projects across Manchester and London. So you have this project both in London and Manchester? Yes, we do. I was wondering if the organisation was going to kind of expand to other areas in the UK. That's the aim for us within the next two to three years to do all across the UK. Okay, great. And would you be having other bodies collaborate with Afruka as well? Yes, at the moment we do have most of our projects we run, we do have sponsorships from different external agencies. So we work with different um, agencies and charities across our project and in delivering our services. Thank you. Has Afruka initiated joint working and partnership activities with other organisations outside the UK? Afruka is engaged in joint working and partnership with international organisations outside of the UK to combat um, child exploitation, trafficking and abuse fostering, a global network to address, which is a global um, issue across the world. So, for example, Afruka is currently doing... Um, project in Nigeria to help combat child exploitation and uh, witchcraft abuse, okay. which we're running to create sensitization in Nigeria for families and ethnic and the communities to know about these things and try to get the law involved instead of taking our own beliefs, which we've hold on to for so long, which are not true most of the times. And these kids are going through traumatic experiences based on these beliefs, which most times are not true. Okay. So they collaborate with the governmental parastatal yes. to carry out projects. So is it going to be expanding across Africa or West Africa, East Africa, North Africa? Yeah, that's the aim for us. But working in Africa in general can be really a tough experience because especially as a charity, there's so many hurdles you have to go through in, in order to be able to successfully exert your work as a charity because us as Africans, we know the things going on in our countries in terms of the corruption and other things in terms of putting squared holes and <laughs> square pegs and round holes in terms of things like this. So you bring your documentation and people will tell you, okay, you can't run this project at this time. You have to wait. It's all politics. So once we get past these stages, we will be able to successfully run our project across Africa. Okay. Thank you. I do agree with what you said. There are lots of things uh, that needs to be put in place before yeah. this project can be up and running. But I believe some governmental departments might not really think this is worth doing depending on the department yes, some, might see that, some people might see it as a westernized idea of doing things people shouldn't be doing this in africa so and in general as well because most of our colleagues are women 
So in Africa as well, there's this belief seeing women running projects, talking to men about these things. I mean, it's it's not fully supported by men, and which is another That's issue it. that can be talked about as well. Because I remember, I think it's the Nigerian author, Chimamanda, I, I forgot her name. So she mentioned Chimamanda. something. Yeah, yeah so Chimamanda. she mentioned yeah. something about saying she's trying to change the the mindset of men in Nigeria about how, what and when women should speak up about, which is a great thing. So she's trying to change the perspective in terms of women never used to drink with men in public spaces. Women never used to, when there's marriage, women never used to accept the right price. So all of these are changing now. So it's things like this. And once all of this can get pushed to the side and we could all move on, then things our projects can successfully run. You're quite right. Uh, but you know, back in Africa, it's a patriarchal system. It's a male-dominated sphere. Yeah. So it's going to take a while, but definitely we'll get there. If we have lots of activists, we'll get there someday. 100%. I believe in that. So that leads me to my final question. How can other organizations connect with Afruka? Through our website, email, telephone, fax. So organizations can connect with Afruka by reaching through our website, contacting our partnership liaison, or attending our event or workshops, workshops geared towards collaborative efforts in safeguarding children's rights and welfare. So I'll share with you some of our contact details and then you can, you can share it. And we're happy to work with other charities and different projects across the UK, even globally across the world, wherever we can reach and there's funding for it. We're happy to work together and collaborate. Afrocard.org. Thank you so much for coming on this show. It's been a pleasure having you. Um, you. And hopefully in the nearest future, we'll have a panel whereby we will invite you or one of your colleagues to speak more on this topic. So on yeah. that note, I'll say thank you. Listeners, you've heard from Ibrahim, who represents Afruka. If you have any more questions, Kindly leave your comments at our yes, email address. Yes, our email is info at afruka.org. So if anyone has any question regarding our services and our projects, they can contact us on there. And our telephone is 0207-704-2261. You're welcome. If you still want to further leave messages or comments or your views you can also reach out to us at our email address rising above shadows of abuse at gmail.com i'm your host grace Upper for rising above shadows of abuse rasa see you on our next show and take care bye for now <laughs>